Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Desi VC podcast. I'm your host Akash Pat and as always I'm bringing you fresh perspectives from the world of venture capital to the eyes of investors investing in tech startups in India. Today's episode is long overdue. With me on the show today is Vinod Shankar, partner at Java Capital. Vinod has been a founder, growth operator and an investor investing in India over the last decade. and has just about launched his own investment syndicate focusing in sectors such as fintech health tech enterprise saas mobile internet consumer and deep tech i speak to him about his journey into investing running a syndicate and explore how his operator journey is coming full circle now as he advises founders so without further ado let's jump in and listen to vinod <laughs> Welcome to the podcast Vinod we've been planning to do this for a while but I am really really excited that we have finally gotten the chance to sit down together and do this Hey th- thanks Akash I think you know uh, you're absolutely right I think we've been talking about it for some time and I'm like super excited you know to do this uh, right uh, I think after Java Capital this would be my first uh, podcast I've done prior a couple of them but I think this would be the first one I'm like very happy you know to do this uh, with you I feel very privileged for that you're saying this so I'm really excited and I hope the next 60 minutes or so is going to be fun for you as well. Uh, let me start off with this you know you've launched the fund during a pandemic uh, which is you know very exciting and also risky at the same time. So how did you come up with the idea or or even launch the fund in a year that's going to be so troublesome for everybody and at the same time what gave you the conviction that this is the right time for you to launch a fund? Sure. Uh, it's, it's it's interesting that you asked that question now uh, i mean i i i had to make this decision uh, you know not in may or you know not in april in some sense right uh, my decision to start a, a fund uh, from a long term point of view was made like long ago in some sense let's let's say call it you know a decade ago if you wish right i mean that's a very long term view that i'm giving that's what i wanted to do uh, but just in uh, 2019 end right i was uh, veering towards uh, you know uh, getting out of my current job as a vc you know i had made the decision let's say you know i had spoken to my partners bargavi and karthik and by jan right i had like put in my papers and i was just trying to wait so so there was no pandemic you know when i actually put in my papers really <laughs> that's what happened and uh, then you know the pandemic just broke out um, and uh, in in march or uh, april right where my you know i was like about to leave uh, some people you know asked you know i mean you want to leave in the middle of the pandemic and go start something i did think about it but you know i think the conviction to do something uh, uh, right was so high and i said look i made the decision i don't want to change my decision just because of the pandemic and we don't know what is the pandemic's parameters we had no clue you know in uh, you know march or something i said let me go ahead you know i will take the pain uh, you know we will all take the pain which we discussed with my partners and i said look let's go ahead uh, what's the worst case scenario that we will not be able to raise money and uh, we, we will we will uh, you know get delayed or you know we will not be doing anything you know super exciting you know from the world's point of view but i think let's prepare you know let's start preparing for it and and then that's how you know uh, i assumed uh, and and you know took the decision uh, in some sense uh, it will start looking uh, reckless uh, for a lot of people but i think you know a lot of things uh, in my career has start, looked reckless you know when i made the decision you know i'm like using the word reckless carefully here 
uh, one example i'll give you another uh, decision you know in 2010 if i remember i was in technology i quit i got married and i started uh, uh, just books outlets uh, you know i changed my career everything in a frame of you know <laughs> uh three months less than three months frankly so i think you know the risk appetite is really the reason frankly you know at overarching level i think i have the risk appetite you know to take some really risky decisions in life and move on with it and a lot of it has turned out good frankly no that's a great point that you make because one of the things that i wanted to understand from your perspective was the challenges that you faced when you first thought about launching the fund because as you said when you first thought about it it was not the year of the pandemic things 2020 would have probably been another year in your book when you were thinking about it so now that the pandemic has hit and you've already decided to launch it what are some of the challenges that you had like did you guys internally have a discussion saying maybe we should put this off for another 6 months or so because i'm 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 dialing the clock back to march you know when people were still saying uh okay by november the pandemic pandemic is going to go away and this hmm. is just a short term thing so did you have these conversations internally as well where you felt maybe you'll probably take a few more months and then think about launching it later in the later half of the year which in hindsight might have been a long wrong decision because you know we're still stuck in a pandemic but did those questions and those uh, conversations happen internally i think you know we spoke about it but very briefly at first that's the uh, good thing i feel now right uh, we, we we really didn't uh, you know think that you know this is going to uh, change the story uh, what we had thought of we did briefly discuss but we never thought you know we're going to postpone this because I, I, i'm a, i'm out of job my partners were you know really full time already so uh, so what 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 can we do right it, 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 see you you are at a point where you know you have uh nothing else to do in some sense right you know you you put yourself you know full into this in some sense right you've jumped into the water you know let's assume you know you don't know swimming but you already jumped into the water so i think it's it, it it was at that point i think nobody even you know asked you know okay should we wait you know actually you know there was not a very serious discussion frankly you know i think you know in our minds we had decided to go ahead and um, and actually no serious discussion happened actually we said let's go ahead and uh, uh uh we launched on may 1st the website back end work we did a little bit in april and uh, and uh, we signed on our uh, term sheet in uh, first couple of term sheets in april and actually even before we launched the uh, may 1st website and that's the launch date i remember uh, may 1st uh, but we had signed a couple of term sheets uh, in uh, end of uh, april and uh, we were like chalo let's go ahead you know i think you know uh, looking back right I, i i think that was a good thing you know because nobody asked you know should we postpone this nobody you know really thought you know we should postpone it the first place that's why the discussion really didn't happen i think it came from the uh, understanding that look you know we would have done this for the long term we are not here you know for the pandemic or not without the pandemic i mean we are going to do this for the next decades to come in some sense right? that was a thinking you know i think the long term thinking helped you know irrespective of the pandemic is going to be like one year or pandemic is going to be two years so we're going to do this so let's start somewhere and uh, you know i think that's that's where i think it worked i think the challenges seemed um, not so uh, 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 uh daunting because we wanted to take it uh, small bites at a time you know just like a startup akash if you will uh you know we launched this angel course so we are prepping up you know and you know putting that together you know just so that you know we can keep uh, some of our cash flows you know going and uh, fortunately right uh, uh, you know it it turned out that you know some of our um, 
investors came from the course eventually you know uh, if you ask me the challenge that would have we would have faced initially was who do we go ask for money i mean that was the biggest challenge right that strangely got sorted out itself uh, slowly little by little but it got sorted out itself right uh, we had a huge uh, you know um believers in some sense right like i could call pick up the phone and talk to somebody whom i've been in touch with for 10 years and suddenly you know this person says look you know i want to work with you and uh, you know i think people come up and help you right like another thing happened interestingly my first job uh, you know um a tech lead or a, a person i had like not been in touch with him nor even in the job right i knew him we only the common uh, thing between us that we worked in the same company called immuse in my first startup and uh, he pings me and says look i want to work with you and we are on a long call uh, like i do with most lot of people he said look i want to work with you and you invest in some interesting deep technology companies so it started you know i think you know as you say right the world conspires you know so, to some extent you know the world started conspiring and in some sense people started reaching out to me saying you know i want to uh, figure out a way to invest you know i think there was some pent up demand and the covid covid right was rather not a challenge i would say it's a blessing in disguise at least for us you know uh, i know a lot of people have suffered you know that's a, uh, but the reason i am telling that is when you ask for time right during the pandemic you know people were willing to give you time because people had a lot more time on their hands and people wanted to rekindle their old uh, connections uh, and and people got a little more uh, i would say you know slightly on the romantic side also in a sense you know why i am saying that is people felt you know okay this pandemic is just put all of us so much you know under stress or you know okay will i meet the uh, my friends you know will i meet my schoolmates will i meet my college mates is is that you know that small thing right that people started valuing a lot of this so people started giving time to you know whoever asked for you know so i think that worked for us so whenever we asked time for anybody you know be it any investor from us he used to genuinely give us like you know 45 minutes one hour for us to make us a pitch frankly you know the covid helped is what i keep uh, believing and i keep telling my partners look uh, that that's how i think you know people had time people were saving more money because they were not spending so the savings had gone up and they wanted to invest somewhere and here is an option that i presented and you know a lot of them you know believed that you know it's a good story to go ahead with so in, in a way for us it turned out to be you know very very positive and you know been a tailwind rather than a headwind uh, for java capital at least the covid is these are some really interesting points uh, vinod gives me an opportunity to understand the psychology behind people launching funds during a pandemic because you're not the only fund right there are a bunch of funds that actually were launched in this period and i've been trying to understand what were people really thinking of course when a lot of conversations i've had with people all of these conversations were before the pandemic hit but it's really interesting to understand and dig a little deeper into why people have gone ahead with their conviction knowing that this year is going to be extremely challenging which i think is a good segue to your background uh, i want to spend a little more time on your story how did you come about um with the fund and you know if you could take us to the journey of where you started how your career really progressed how did everything kind of come together with your time at kalari and now at java did you always know you wanted to be in venture capital if you can tie that whole story together for our listeners i think that would be fantastic yeah i think you know this is a very interesting question you know i'm like, i'm i'm like that's like a long story but let me try you know to try and put it together for you i mean let's just like most bangalore guys right I, I, a lot of them you know you would relate to you know akash especially so I, i i was trying to become one more engineer you know that is what i was trying to become 
and I, I mean, I've lived in Bangalore all along, you know, so there was this flavor of tech, you know, and, you know, uh, all that happening, you know, 2000 inspired me, for example, you know, first time, you know, I was playing around with computers, you know, with 486, 286 systems in schools. And, um, and my sister used to work for a computer institute. So I used to spend my free time there, you know, that's my first, uh, let's say, glimpses, uh, you know, uh, with technology, you know, what's happening, you know, really, this was the late 90s, in a way. Uh, that that happened, you know, and that happened and that said, look, you know, maybe you should become an engineer. So whenever somebody used to ask me, what do you want to become? I used to strangely tell software professional, frankly, you know, that was the exact term that I used. I remember this pretty well. And that led one led to another. And then, you know, I, I eventually joined engineering, uh, joined this startup uh, in Bangalore. You know, in 2006, startups were, you know, as rare in uh, Bangalore also. Uh, so I joined this startup uh, called Immuse. Uh, which was into, you know, writing code for uh, uh, mobiles, you know, the Nokias and the Symbians of the world at that time. And that startup, you know, also got acquired. And that's my first experience where I saw, you know, people making money through ESOPs, you know, founders making money. And I saw a bunch of angel investors from the US who had invested making money. Uh, I mean, that that gave me, so look, you know, money you can make not just by working for this company, right? That That's the first flavor, first job. First flavor, straight out of, you know, Indranagar, Bangalore, uh, I'm working out of there. And uh, I was like, boss, this is interesting. You know, what the, what is this, you know? And uh, I got my first check and I just went ahead and invested in stock market, you know? Uh, because that was also another uh, question that was always in my head. How does the stock market operate? So I said, let me learn that. So, so that's the starting point, frankly, you know, and there... <clears throat> And the experience there of, you know, working there, you know, getting acquired by Sequoia, KKR, you know, they were a PE player at that time, not necessarily investing in startups. That gave me said, look, you know, you, you, you can't, you know, really be an employee and make uh, your life's earning or create an impact. You potentially will have to, you know, create things and, you know, build things or, you know, you'll, you'll have to figure out a way for money to compound uh, in, in some sense, right? And, and also in 2008 is the year, I think, you know, I ended up reading um, Black Swan. And uh, when when and that was that was one of the books that I spent a lot of time going through, right? Uh, and and that just this I started reading, and I said it started looking like, look, what is the nearest controllable black swan industry, right? And and after all that, now I could find you know the venture industry put to the nearest controllable black swans in some sense, right? You you can you know uh, figure out you know can, uh, you know way to at least get a few uh, potential large asymmetric hits. You know, it started you know see. In, in some sense that time and I said look you know how do I get to venture in uh, you know actually you know 10 years down the line how do I figure out so I actually spoke to a college mate of mine I asked him look this is what I'm thinking in 2008-2009 and he said look you know it's a very interesting thought process that you want to do this he said you know you should go work in a startup first you know if you want to get to venture I said that's a great idea TK let me do that and I actually quit the first company and joined another startup uh, called Justbook which was incubated at NSRCL at IIM Bangalore I joined them, you know, as a, a development, business development manager, and then went on to lead marketing. And that was a great experience. Again, right? Just books. Uh, when I joined in, you know, we had 10 outlets. And by the time I moved out, 13 cities, you know, with 65 outlets. Uh, uh, basically, this was a library. It's a technology first library chain. So, and this was a tech team, you know, which was running it. You know, this was like, you know, people from iFlex, you know, people from uh, tech companies were running it. So that, I think, it was a great exposure again into the startup space. Strangely, right, I just believe simple things, Akash, you know, people said, go work for a startup again, and then, you know, then go to VC, right? I just took that as gospel truth, frankly, nothing else. And I spent the next five years working at um, Just Books, learning the ropes of, you know, business, marketing, 
sales you know that was my uh, learning there you know after technology that's what i did so first tech then another five years of you know business and stuff and strangely that's also the time you know uh, you know i kind of uh, knew manish uh, as a partner at five ventures so uh, he was at let's venture at that time so i just pinged him and said look you know i would love to mentor some companies you know i've been doing marketing for four five years now what do you think he said you know instead of mentoring you know why don't you put some money and you know put some skin in the game and then you know the chances are much higher people will take you more seriously when you want to mentor them i said that's fine great let me try that out and i started investing in 2014 my first angel investment happened in 2014 and also right i wanted it to make sure that it happened before i turned 30 strangely i made that investment just before my <laughs> 30th birthday just you know my first investment uh, it it was a signal that i am serious about uh, doing uh, investments i am serious about startups and i am serious about investing career eventually i mean that so i just put plonk my money into the first uh, uh company just before i turned 30 uh indicating you know sometimes you know we take ourselves seriously when we put some money on the table and you know we see you know what goes on so i did that and uh, and uh, and then just books was not growing as fast as anticipated so then i had to move out of uh, uh, just books and find you know what what should i do and uh, and i and that was a 2015 uh, you know food tech uh, boom uh, that was happening and crazy funding going around uh, you know with the likes of swiggy tiny all and all that and i just uh, said okay let's get my hand dirty um, and i tried my hand at a food tech startup myself uh, you know uh, spent uh, the next uh, year there uh, you know trying to figure out you know how to make that work uh, this was pretty much like you know you can call it you know modeled on blue apron if you wish i tried that uh, you know for about a year I really didn't take off uh, you know i think the market was not ready for that i think even today i believe the market is not ready um they shut that down uh I started doing consulting for startups uh, and uh, uh, i worked with a couple of uh, bangalore startups you know consulting on retail uh, asset light model those kind of stuff and that's where i met bargavi strangely you know in this consulting gig my current partner right uh, in 2016 uh, he was also consulting for the same startup that i was consulting uh, and that's how we met you know and we been in touch and in 2016 i told her look you know let me try and let, why don't we start now i mean both of us were not prepared looked like you know and she actually said you know no i'm not ready for it yet so i said okay fine then um, i think the venture path was very clear you know so that five years i spent learning the ropes and uh, okay i felt you know now i'm ready for venture and i started writing to every vc in town saying you know can i get a gig in uh, your your place so that literally happened so i still have my cold mails to most of the vcs right and then kalari it turned out to be again you know a blessing in disguise wait i actually i actually want to pause right there because this is so interesting and a lot of people reach out to me and ask me how do i cold reach uh, vcs how do i get a conversation with them spend a little more time there and 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 talk to us about what were those emails like like what what were you telling people when you were reaching out to them like i i i can sense it from a perspective saying okay i want to get into vc but what are some of the things that you were willing to provide in terms of the value that uh, you know they should, they they could have taken you up on yeah yeah so so, so I, i just put something on twitter yesterday night akash uh, i reached out to nitin of zerada also there was also a cold mail uh, and uh, and i've been uh, zerada's customer for a long time and they were in the same area like in jp nagar you know in the house prior to you know as i've seen their growth you know right in front of me i should drive my car by their office every day Uh, so when i reached out to nitin right I, i i put that on twitter you know somebody can just check you know today's twitter i thoughtfully put out saying look this is my idea 
this is what I want to do. For example, Nitin's reach out has worked and I didn't meet the team. You know, cold mail's work. I believe cold mail's work. It's just that you have to spend time, you know, thinking about who the other person is and what is that they are looking. How do you find out what is that other person is looking? Use all sorts of public research. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Research. What is he talking on Twitter? What is he talking on LinkedIn? Did he recently attend a conference or, you know, he, did he put out something? Did he write something? Use all those snippets, you know, to conjure something, you know, where you can connect to him. In a way, it's absolutely, it's like, you know, it is like, uh, I don't know, I want to keep giving this dating example, but, you know, how do you convince a girl that, you know, oh, you go find out what she likes, you gift her something, you know, it is that, right? But give, give valuable information. Uh, that you know you are serious about what you are talking and you are seriously interested and show that you know you've done some research on this and you're not just randomly writing email oh I want to connect to you because I want investment from you or you're not saying you know I want to connect you because I want to become a part of VC because I love VC I mean that's not going to work right um, in for VCs right this is a clear story that I had pitched <clears throat> I told them look I had already invested in two three startups by then I had shown that you know I I am willing to put my money and put my uh, money and, you know, willing to lose them or gain out of it. But I put my conviction out there. So look, you know, I want to do this uh, VC thing, right? So I'd already invested and I told them, look, these are my companies. Uh, you know, this is why I invested in company A. This is why I invested in company B. And this is why I invested in company C. Uh, so I, I would put that up and I would say, look, you know, this is what I've done over the years. I understand tech. I understand business and marketing. And I'm, I'm trying to learn investing now. And I would love to, you know, be a part of it and learn more. That was simply, you know, the thought process of most of my emails to VCs. Uh, but but VCs also, like not all of them replied, frankly, but a good, good chunk of them replied, you know, either with a yes or a no or a clear answer, uh, at least. But half of them won't reply. Let me be very honest about it also, right? They won't even bother uh, to reply, frankly. So a few of them replied. I remember the names of the VCs who replied at least, you know. So <laughs> I know, you know, when, when I have something to give, you know, I will give to those people in some sense, right, if I have. Um, so, so cold mail, I think, is a very important tool in people's lives. Uh, if they have to just learn the art, right? I put my email to Nitin. You know, people can read and you know deconstruct. Uh, it's on Twitter uh, as of uh, today. You can read and deconstruct. Um, I think more than writing the art of cold mail, right? I think you just have to believe that you know. Look, you know, I will make sure that I will get the response. I will get the meeting. You have to push a lot of people. Don't do the reminder also, Akash. If you notice, right? I also get a bunch of cold email, right? How many of them actually put a gentle reminder uh, to me? Very few. If they put a reminder or ask me saying, you know, why didn't you look at my application or, you know, is there a reason for something that you're waiting on? I am very sure I will notice it. At least I, I believe, you know, internally as a firm, we believe we will notice it. So I think people don't even go beyond one reminder, frankly. If you take, a, um, you know, your power lock curve, right? People who do the third reminder, are like, you know, really, you know, low, really, really low. I'm sure, you know, they will get a meeting. They will get a phone call if they actually do that thoughtfully. I have done that, you know, for getting a meeting with uh, somebody like uh, uh, another VC initially, you have to do that. You know, you Absolutely. just have to be mainly shameless about it. Boss, no, I'm know? on the same page as you are because even for, I mean, forget about just an interview with the podcast or uh, for, for with with a... Uh with the VC for the podcast itself. When I reach out to people, sometimes I've sent seven to eight emails, you know, I mean, you just got to send it sometimes. And sometimes people miss it because they have a lot happening and uh, it probably have reached them at the wrong time of the day, or there's a, so there's something else that's, that's taking up their time or it just gets lost because sometimes if you send it uh, at 12 in the night, by the time somebody wakes up, they have 40 other emails to answer. So it also matters what time of the day you catch them at, what platform you catch them at. Are you reaching them on Twitter, LinkedIn, email, 
Are you spamming them everywhere possible? I've kind of done everything. <laughs> so I, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. And in, even in terms of like reaching out for jobs, you know, it's people, people assume and people, I, I had one person reach out to me uh, very recently, in fact, uh, on Instagram. And he got visibly uh, agitated that I hadn't gotten back to him in like two days. And he said, oh, just because you, you have this, you have that, you, you think you're a big VC, you, you, don't, you, you don't think you can reply to my messages. And I was like so shocked by it. I said, hey, listen, if you know how Instagram works, if you're not a friend, it goes into, it, it goes into a special inbox. I don't see it unless I click on it. So just just hang on for a minute. You can't be so impatient. People just get so, people get impatient. They feel one or two emails and they feel they're entitled to a reply, which yeah. sometimes does not happen. You know, you got to persist. You got to do seven, eight, nine emails and maybe you'll get through at some point, but you've got to keep persisting. And it also comes down to every time when you send an email, um, it can't just be, hey, I'm following up on that previous email. Can you do something different? Can you be like, hey, uh, especially from, you know, for the listeners who I'm talking, uh, when I, when I reach out from a podcast perspective, I'll reach out and be like, Hey, I just interviewed this person. Can you, do you, you might want to listen to it. It's very interesting. I saw that you posted something on Twitter. This might be interesting because this person talks about what you tweeted about as well. And now the person might be a little more curious to at least check the podcast out. So mm-hmm. there are ways to reach people and people don't really, they don't know the art of reaching out and, uh, art of cold emailing or, uh, art of cold reaching out. That's, that's, that's a beautiful science I, I, in itself. I guess, yeah, I guess my career is built on cold emails. I'll tell you in some sense. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> uh, the Just Books, right? Founder Sundar, uh, right? Uh, again, I was in a large technology company by then, acquired, right? I wrote to my email first thing. I want to meet, you know, I found your library very interesting and wide field. And he said, yeah, great, interesting. Let's talk. But he didn't reply to me, you know, uh, immediately. It, it, like, it, it took like a couple of reminders. Then he told me another interesting thing, right? Uh, to check if I'm serious about this, right? For example, people check, you know, if somebody's serious or just wasting time. He said, you know, you come to, you know, uh, uh, NSRCL. And before coming, you have to give me a call to check if I'm there. So this is all people trying to check, you know, are you serious about this? Will you call me? You know, will you call on time and check all this stuff? So people want not waste their time, frankly, at the end of the day, right? So I did that, right? So people have their various checkpoints, you know, you should not think of checkpoints as barriers, you know, it's their way of, you know, conserving their energy and time and efficiency in some sense. So you have to make it clear that, you know, look, I'm really, really interested. And I think both of us will find value in a meeting. If you do that, you will get that meeting. I'm very, very sure. I'm like 100% convinced you will get if you try really uh, hard enough, you will get a meeting uh, or an interview call with anybody you want in the world, frankly. I agree with that. No, that's fantastic. I, I'm glad you actually spent a little more time going deeper into I, yeah, the art of reaching there's, out. There's, there's another interesting anecdote on that, right? Because, you know, uh, Gopinath of Air Deccan, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I was, I'm like usually inspired by him at one point in time, right? I read his book. So he mentions about wanting to meet, uh, I, I'm not able to recall his name, one of the foremost guys, you know, who did, uh, you know, low-cost uh, flying. He asked for a meeting and they refused saying, you know, they'll not give him a meeting. Uh, with the CEO, uh, you know, then, uh, you know, the secretary says, you know, he's willing to give a meeting uh, if it's, uh, if you pay $5,000 an hour, then uh, Gopinath says, yes, I'm giving $5,000. Uh, then, you know, they up the rate saying, no, he's not willing to do, he needs $10,000 an hour. He says, yeah, I will give it. So, so, so look at that, you know, the persistence of uh, Mr. Gopinath saying, look, you know, I'm willing to give that. Obviously, you know, I'm sure, you know, they didn't take that money, but that is their way of saying, look, you know, how serious really you want to do this meeting for, right? Right. 
so people have to figure out their ways uh, uh, to get a uh, meeting yeah interesting conversation especially on cold emails and <laughs> getting meetings life changing once happened by the way it's happened to me multiple times no i mean i've gotten two jobs by cold emailing and you know reaching out to people on linkedin <laughs> here in the us i mean it's 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 sometimes the only way you can reach out and also goes to show um how much you're willing to step out of your comfort zone because it's not easy to send so many emails get rejections and that kind of is a good segue as well because founders have to do that right i mean most of the time when they reach out to um uh investors as well it's not about just standing out because vcs get so many emails on a day to day basis that uh, it's very difficult for them to sometimes get back to all of these emails so something needs to really stand out what can you really do in terms of uh you know putting your uh making sure that you stand out which i think is a good good segue into you know your your title that you put everywhere which is a chief hustle, hustle officer um that kind of is 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 perfect in terms of you know you providing and uh training your uh, your portfolio companies because i did check your website and one of the things that it says is that you help in hand holding uh your companies you partner with companies at an idea to prototype stage and pre product market fit stage and actively work with them to to lead them to the next stage of growth right talk us through that point what do you do how do you add value and what kind of challenges do you think founders are facing today uh, as we speak and by today i just don't mean the covid era but you know just the evolution that you have seen from the time that you were at kalari which is you know a few years ago and you were just spending a few years in vc uh, you know vc is like you, you age in dog years it's, it's it's so much can happen in just 3 years what were the challenges that you saw entrepreneurs face at the early stage when you were at kalari and k start and what are you seeing today what are the key differences that entrepreneurs are facing today and how are you helping them in terms of hand holding them and thinking through the whole process with them great great question uh, akash um i i think the two challenges at least you know if you look in the face that i always see is uh, recruiting human resources right you know how do you, you, you see we can provide the money right i think beyond that right how do you scale the startup comes down to you know people i think that's the most important resource you know for any 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 in anything that you do in you know, a startup you know especially right i think recruiting seems like a really a uh, challenge what we've done is we 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 you know we just ask the founders you know okay who do you want to recruit next you know uh, you know then we activate our network saying you know can we find somebody here so so one of the but first portfolio companies right we i have been actively pushing it not just on my social media including my network saying look you know we need a recruitment in this profile uh, can okay can you guys help me you know again absolutely shameless uh, thing right i know that you know that is the most critical thing for our startups to get the right people in place because you know that's how they're going to grow right so that's something that i focus on uh, after an investment is made you know clearly you know to try and help them to recruit the next set of people especially you know if it's like slightly you know senior roles get them in place so that you know they can build out a large team and we are very consciously doing it by using all our network resources currently obviously you know we don't have a full time recruiter in place in house or something like that that's a lot of big vcs kind of you know do that but we are trying to do it in our own way you know by you know spreading our network uh, and banking on that currently but that's something you know i would measure ourselves on saying you know after putting in money how many people did we help any company recruit frankly you know especially in some senior roles and that's a measure of you know our addition of value add to our uh, companies that's one the other thing that we focus on uh, uh, you know helping is which i believe again learnings from kalari k start right 
help the company to raise the next round of money that is another critical thing that i noticed and and also right what do the founders value if you notice right uh, over the years these are if if you ask me you know these are two primary things they really value right, from a vc frankly see product technology if you have domain expertise you know please feel free to you know throw in your ideas you know give them but connecting to networks helping them recruiting and helping them raise the next round of money helping them with pitch and guidance for the next round right i think if we do these two things right akash if you if you ask me right i think a great a job well done frankly speaking you know i i, I that is how i am like very focused at java at least saying you know these are the only two things you know we really want to do help recruiting help them raise money for the next round that's the two pieces use our vc connects use our networks use all that uh, you know build back in tools for that and uh, track it diligently so that you know you've done that for the companies that's it you know i don't want to go and say you know i can do a lot of things frankly i'll just focus on only those two things from java to provide rest of it if it happens networks we always are you know you're willing to you know connect uh, to others but those are the two things that i want to measure ourselves on and that is consciously you know that is the thing that i try to build in also a lot of relationships that do i actually for example i have like on my calendar to meet a stranger or you know touch base with an old friend in the uh, network every day okay. in some sense you know, that is exactly that i do and that's one of my activities and that always in the blue almost every day you know i end up trying you know, getting it done almost so I, i will be talking to a literally a new person in the industry try and you know make a connect or you know to talk to them you know in the industry so that's i'm consciously doing so that i have a larger network you know i can help my companies uh, do that uh, again you know all these are long term plans on the recruiting front you know i'm i'm sure you know we could do a lot more currently you know it's mostly restricted to helping companies get good quality people on board them that is the thing you know we could do a lot more but i need you know yeah currently you know that's the two big pieces that uh, we want to add value on and and when i say idea to prototype right i think look we funded companies even as we speak right uh, pre incorporation just an idea we funded companies uh, <clears throat> just you know an mvp uh, we we really want to come in early that's exactly the uh, thought process for us right so and and also the belief is that you know founders and market those are two important pieces frankly if if the market and the founder are really good right i think you know we are willing to kind of you know take a, a shot at uh, that you know sometimes the founders uh, weight may be higher sometimes the market may be higher but you know that those are the two important pillars to stand on you know to invest in a company the founder and the market frankly at our stage right that's why you know we we kind of saying look we can do from idea to a mvp you know we are willing to you know talk to people at that stage and uh, and we kind of open out you know the other strategy is also that for us right we are extremely open about you know who can reach out to us we are very open on all our channels linkedin twitter dms or, or our emails Uh, you know people can write to us and you know they can expect or are sure of getting a response in like 14 to 20 days you know that's something we're consciously doing i want to encourage people to cold mail vcs and not be restricted to you know just um, references or you know making you know oh, i referred you referred you know not just you know some level you know some amount of credentializing you know a small uh, network is formed and you know people keep referring you know from within their network right i'm, I'm just i'm just saying you know i want to open it out to a larger audience larger world you can cold mail us you know you would you would be assured of getting a response and if you have really you know thought about your idea and you you know built something prototype and can show demonstrate we want we first you are funding a company which came cold for the first time already 
so so that that's our uh, open thought process if you ask me akash and the value adds i've told in some sense like those are two pieces yeah so what percentage of companies would you say that you're looking at are cold emails and what percentage are sourced from the members at java capital okay i can give you stats actually we discussed this in a couple of weeks a free willing uh, session uh, i think you know if you ask me i would say about uh, 30% emails are uh, 30 to 40% are inbound emails almost currently already okay uh, the remaining 50 60% uh, is coming through you know various sources let's assume that that's what's happening uh, if you look at our companies uh, that we funded currently right uh, uh, i would say yeah uh, close to currently you know it looks smaller maybe about 10% of the company that we funded is cold cold email but we slowly want to move that you know and make it at least you know 30 40% you know where it comes inbound you know it's a cold email they're directly reaching out the founders are reaching out to us uh, where our portfolio should start looking like at least you know we've got 25 to 40% of the companies you know coming through cold emails cold connects that the founder is doing directly and uh, that's a very conscious attempt and just to give a sense of our pipeline from may onwards right if you want that right we probably looked at 600 uh, you know companies and um, out of that you know about uh, 70 to 100 companies uh, where we had a conversation and uh, you know some of the multiple conversations and of that you know maybe about another 25 30 in tracking mode you know we told look you know, let's keep an eye out even though we don't tell the founder that consciously we are tracking it we you know we put it on ourselves you know to keep a track of these companies and we potentially would have made another five six investments and a couple of more in the pipeline right it's a rough conversion rate for us from the top of the funnel if you ask is uh, <clears throat> one in uh, 100 uh, close to or two in 100 if if you have to put it somewhere there yeah yeah i think two in 100 600 companies we are doing like six seven you know as we speak you know somewhere in the pipeline uh, yeah that that's the ratio so it also you know shows to the founder look you know that is the rate at which i can really fund also right so if you have to stand out within that 100 then only we are going to likely uh, fund uh, and, and 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 the learnings from being with kalari and case start is that you know tracking metrics is extremely important you know if you don't measure you're not going to know what you're doing so we are very conscious to measure every metric that uh, uh, that we are working with be it the number of companies that we looking at number of investors who are working with us how many investors are putting in uh, money in multiple companies and how much time do we take you know say even from saying yes to a company rolling out a term sheet to wiring the money all of them you know we are like tracking in a, in a way all that tracking is to ensure that you know we we, we show that you know look you know, there is discipline in how we operate and that is how we are able to give give back to the community and also to the founders saying look you know there is a discipline how we operate yeah so i'm glad you brought up the topic of kalari and k start uh i would love to spend a little bit time here to understand what were some of the things that you picked up while your time as a fellow at k at kalari and how is that experience kind of translated to where you are right now the two year two, two and a half three years or so that you spent there how has that really changed you as an investor today and uh if there are any things any anything that you probably could have done differently looking back at your time at k start and kalari what would have that what would that have been 
Great, Akash. I think, yeah, that's where we left off in the story. Good that we pick up from there. <laughs> so, so Kalari itself now is an interesting, uh, 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 right? So I was telling, you know, the cold mailing of VCs was happening and this Kalari opportunity kind of comes up, which is a fellowship opportunity, right? At my age, you know, that looked like, you know, opportunity cost for me, right? But I said, look, you know, if you have to learn something, you have to sacrifice. Uh, and I joined as a fellow, as you said, for the first couple of years, you know, then I, before I became an AVP uh, there. Uh, for the next couple of years and 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 that i went in with a very open mind look you know this is a learning cost for me you know i mean you could do an mba a lot of people do an mba i said look you know i'm not going to do an mba initially because i'm like almost 10 plus years into the industry already and i said look this is an opportunity that's how i viewed kalari's opportunity frankly i said look you know this is going to be a paid mba whatever that they're going to pay me and uh, I'm going to learn a lot because this is what I want to do all my life, right? You've been cold emailing VCs and here is an opportunity which is right in your face. Go grab it, right? In a sense, you know, that's exactly what Kalari case start for me. And I just applied and put my, all the effort, you know, I put in my 100% of effort, did a lot of research, I had to do case studies and I did. Fortunately, I did get in there, right? Like, so I got in there and, uh, I, and I was probably, you know, one of the more experienced uh, of the fellows in a sense, you know, they were like some people, you know, experienced about four or five and the rest of them, you know, like quite young chaps in that way. So that is also the learning in people skills, frankly. Kalari, the greatest thing that I've learned, if you ask me, is people skills, Akash. You may ask, you know, you've already spent 10 years, you know, how, what are you telling me that you learned people skills there? I think in, in the previous jobs, right? I mean, I was doing a role. It is a verticalized role. I was either coding in the first job, a software engineer, developer. In the second job, I was doing business marketing and interacting with my team and, you know, presenting internally. I was doing recruiting and all that. But the first time, you know, the people dynamics and the competitive nature of the system, right, changed for me, you know, uh, I, which I had not experienced, you know. If you wish, you know, it was some kind of a cultural shock for me in, 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 uh, when, I, when I just initially got in. Then I had to adapt to it, you know, figure out, you know, what is this, you know, nature of this venture beast, you know, and how does a partnership firm work, you know, how does a venture capital firm work, right, internally, that is like a slightly, you know, different beast, if you ask me. So that took me like at least six months to get used to uh, understanding how people work, you know, what are the dynamics, you know, what kind of hierarchies exist, uh, what kind of culture exists, uh, again, right, that all took me the first um, six months. I think once I had that, right, that was the biggest learning. If you ask me, people and relationships is the biggest learning. Uh, I would say, you know, again, you know, I'm fortunate, you know, Kalari gives you that nice uh, buffer cushion for you to, you know, spend time and learn about things you wouldn't have learned outside, right? So I think that was one thing. Obviously, right, I learned the routine things, uh, you know, which is uh, I, I got exposed to like 1,000 plus startups. I was evaluating companies at will, uh, which I couldn't do when I was an angel investor, you know, here, this is my day job. So imagine if um, uh, you like ice cream and you're let inside an ice cream factory, right? If you wish. And that was Kalari for me on day one. Frankly. Nice. Uh, and, <laughs> and I was like trying to do this on the side hustle. And here, this is my day job. Go read articles, read about startup ecosystem, do theses and go talk to companies, right? I mean, that is exactly right on the feeling, if you ask me, right? You're let inside an ice cream shop like a kid, right? And I think that was like phenomenal uh, time that I enjoyed, you know, I mean, I, I was doing what I was loving, you know, first day when I sat there, I realized, look, you know, you've been doing this without being paid, putting in your money, here is a time where somebody's paying you to do the same thing in a way. So that moment of truth, right, is the, uh, you know, obsession and the affection, you know, wanting to do 
uh, work with startups in some sense right and and that that is the time i felt like okay this is uh, you, you you reached a point you know which you planned 8 years ago in 2008 it took you 8 years a lot of people make it very fast but for you it's taken like 8 years to get to that point but you you are you come to the point at least you done you know so i think that was great validation of you know long term thinking uh, obviously you know when when you achieve it you know you also start thinking about money and you know money and even is not like a inconsequential thing at the end of the day right so you start figuring out you know how to figure the next steps also as soon as you get to a milestone right you start thinking what should i do now and that's what i started thinking and you know the fund was always in the mind uh, even in 2016 if you ask me so it took me the four years of learning uh, you know to learn the ropes uh learning the nuances you know of how does a fund work you know what's the dynamics what's the math how do people behave and also you know i could build a strong relationship with a lot of you know other investors you know today that you know if i'm working with you know say so many investors already in a bunch of our deals it's because you know that relationships built over the years that i've held uh and 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 i don't know you know i have not been inside other vcs but i can at least tell akash you know kalari is one of the diverse places you know frankly uh, in terms of people if you look right most other vcs you know without naming them i'm just saying you know you look at the people where they come from right kalari always has people coming from crazy places i mean these crazy places they are not your usual xyz institutions or you know coming from this particular town or this thing right it it is possibly the most diverse one uh, in some sense so that i think fosters a lot more than uh you know very narrow approach so i i i think and you know, i like that place you know just because of the diversity that it brings in openness to listen uh, to anybody's ideas uh, obviously there are other nuances to the uh, firm but uh, that's that's what i kind of took back people relationships and diversity in thinking and those are like great things that i kind of took back uh, from kalari yeah I love that when you've kind of like tied in your entire experience from when you started off uh, as an engineer as a reluctant engineer to you know tying it back to Java and how everything is kind of like fallen into place for you. If you were going to pick one instance of your of your life from from history and 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 identify and say this is one thing that can like change me as a person, which one would you pick? interesting gatashya uh, what changed me as a person <laughs> i am i don't know i'm going to throw off answers one thing is going to be very tough uh, uh, akasha but uh, uh, i'll tell you this very interesting uh, serendipitous moment right i think today people talk about serendipity sphere and all that but i've been a strong believer in serendipity all the, all my life right i'll give you one uh, example uh, again right uh, this was uh, <clears throat> uh 2008 or 9 i think head start you know you might be aware you know they were conducting a small event uh, in uh, iim bangalore so i and my friend said okay, let's just bump in and you know let's talk go to iim bangalore let's talk you know very very serendipity moment right we just went and there i met professor suresh uh, bagwatulla uh, professor suresh was one of the advisors for just books so imagine if on that day i had not gone to iimb with my friend and i had not met professor suresh i would have not looked at uh, uh just books nor i would have met the wanted to cold mail the founder of just books i would have still been in tech imagine i'm just saying i'm giving you an example right so there is no one moment i want to pick in uh, life right but i strongly believe in serendipitous um, uh you know 
meetings and serendipitous engagement that happens you have to give enough chances to yourself in life real chances i'm saying when i say chance chance it is i'm not talking of that you know you you just have to be at some places sometime you know something will happen just being there as they call it now being in the right place uh, the right time kind of stuff i am a strong believer so i think that is one moment you know i would believe right like uh, it it completely changed the, uh, what what i am doing today in a sense you know that small meeting and one led to another and i'm like a technology i became marketing and then you know so i believe in serendipitous moment so just be very open you know to meet other people talk to other people be willing to give a little bit of your 15 minutes uh, once in a while or every day at least to one person and that will throw up life changing moments and it's happened to me all the time right like i'm saying you know jazz books is such life changing moment uh uh imagine uh, uh, uh that, you know i think people don't value sometimes those serendipitous moment or they don't uh, remember those uh, serendipitous moment so in 2016 i was consulting uh, startups right i was probably in the i had shut down my startups i was really in a bad shape uh, you know then i ended up meeting my partner bargavi there you know who i mean why will why will i meet her there right of all the places right i was just consulting she was consulting and now she is my partner there right? like again serendipity right so so i think you have to just be very open that's all if you ask me moments will arrive you just be a part of more uh, meetings more chances and moments and that that great moments will uh, arrive to me i always believe my i am meeting is a game changer in terms of my career and you know how directionally uh, i ended up you know doing uh, vc uh, frankly you know this is why i love the podcast because we end up discovering so many things about people that you probably would have never gotten to know if you've had a casual conversation with them and i say that because i've known you for a while now and we've spoken so many times but professor bagotullah's never come up in our conversations and what is really funny is that professor bagotullah played a massive role even in my life so oh, very very <laughs> small world so this is i mean if i were to dial the clock back there was a time when i had i was really frustrated with my stint at engineering and i i nearly dropped out and during that point i used to go and sit in imb campus every day because it was right next to my house and mm. professor bagotella in fact was the one who took me under his wing and taught mm. me the nuances of investing this is when he was setting up nsr cell and he was also you know working on a couple of research papers he brought me under his wing and he taught me the nuances of you know putting together research papers you know looking at startups uh, you know looking at applications really pointing me in a certain direction and this is way back in the early to, uh, 2009 2010 period when the you know there was not still there was still no startup bubble at that point yeah. you know th- we would have probably never come across this instance if it wasn't for this podcast and that's that's why i love this there's so many things that just come up naturally <laughs> and turns out that you yeah. and you and i have had suresh bagotella to to thank in some way or the other for where we are yeah, today right. in our lives absolutely i mean even when i meet him today sometimes i bump in right i just tell him you know this incident right uh changed a lot right if not for him if we had not mentioned the word just books in that conversation that day right uh, I mean life would have been very very different <laughs> frankly he, he, absolutely and he's such a cool person you know for somebody who when you look at him he looks intimidating but when you have a conversation with him he's the most chillest person that you can have a conversation with and you can have conversations about anything on earth and yeah. he's just a source of knowledge and information and such amazing inspiration and I'm glad that we both kind of had some sort of an interaction with him that kind of changed 
the course of our careers. And today, when I speak to people, there are three people that I point out and say, these are very instrumental in my point in, in my life who kind of like changed the way. And that's one of the reasons why I'm here doing what I do. And Professor Bhagavatullah was the first person on that list. So uh, it's fantastic to know that we have. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of uh, what Professor does or even NSRCL does, that doesn't get as much credit, right? I, I always think, right, they actually pioneered that is the Bangalore ecosystem in some sense in the early. I mean, there was nobody to handhold or talk to you at that time, right? So in the yeah. 2006, 8, 9 and all, yeah. I think they just, you know, brought it light. You know, again, NSRCL, again, Infosys founders, uh, you know, who set it up, you know, with this grant. I think that's what, you know, giving back or, you know, paying it forward also, Akash, in some sense, right? Uh, it, it, this is like, you know, Suresh's way of paying forward. He doesn't even know that, you know, both of us are thanking him, right? <laughs> In some sense, right? And that's how he's paid forward to the community and to the larger ecosystem, right? In some sense, you know, the reason for I keep harping on serendipity and give your time or whatever that possibly 15, 20 minutes, right? Because I know somebody will thank you somewhere later, yeah. Like, it's not just because I want to thank you, but it's changing for them. It's life-changing for, like, it happened for us. It will change their lives, right? You know, if they thank or not is the second thing. I think, you know, giving it is really important. Like what Suresh did for that matter, or, you know, what a lot of volunteers would have done. With very very life. selfless as well, because I mean, to, to talk about this a decade after I had my interaction with him, it just goes to yeah. show the kind of impact he's had on people. And I'm pretty sure it's just not the two of us, right? He's, he's touched so many lives, I'm mm-hmm. sure, during the course of yeah. his time at IIM as well as his time at NSRCell. And it's really important for you know, us as VCs, as, as, uh, as, you know, you and I are people in the ecosystem kind of do this to others as well, because that kind of lives on. And he's been a fantastic example of somebody who came in with zero intention, kind of touched my life in such a way that today I speak about him to everyone and anyone that I bump into. And that's the kind of people that, you know, I think VCs kind of need to become at some point outside of just personal interest and what kind of helps them. It's about fostering the ecosystem in the long in the long term and in fact i think this is again a good segue into my next question i got tagged in one of the linkedin posts the other day which was talking about um the responsibility that vcs have in fostering an ecosystem and trying to be the agents of change and not just people who reap benefits of it and my response to that was absolutely i mean that you know you can take a look at it from two points one there is there's some responsibility if the VCs want to take responsibility. They're not obligated to do it, but there are people who want to do it. And uh-huh. the ones who want to do it will end up doing it. But the ones who also don't want to do it, but also want to reap the benefits out of it as a byproduct will end up helping the ecosystem. So uh-huh. even if your ulterior motives are selfish, in one way or the other, you end up contributing to the env- to, to the ecosystem and the environment where um, you know future founders and other VCs can also benefit out of it. What are your thoughts on that? How have you seen the ecosystem evolve since the time that you have been part of uh, the Indian uh, environment? And what have you seen in the startup ecosystem now? And how do you feel, you know, your fellow investors and the people within your angel uh, community as well are contributing and responding to this sort of a sentiment? Akash, uh, I think I, I think both of us seem to have read the same article. Uh, I think the New Yorker article, which came in a couple of days ago, and you know, yes, in response, that's, that's, that's you know, the one. This. Yeah, so I, I've also read. You know, internally, we also tried to discuss this. I, I, I think look right. The world runs on extremes all the time. You know, especially media or anything. Right? They either praise and you know put somebody on the cover page of uh, some magazine, 
or they just put you and say you know you're a drug cartel kind of guy right so 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 and and also right uh, human human nature is to you know uh, lap up the extremes because because it's looking black and white right the extremes only it's going to look black and white frankly right everything else in the middle is gray in some sense right so i think all the time you know as a, uh, an audience as a writer as a you know creator as an artist whatever we are we are demonstrating you know uh, extremes so that you know the world laps up the extremes what have what's happening is is the middle um, the middle is where a lot of game is there the middle is where the world is getting actually changed uh, and not the extremes so in some sense right i am like you know people who write about the extremes at both the ends right i'm willing to discount those people you know at least consciously i've started to pick that as one of my mental uh frameworks right you know world you know wants to show you the extremes all the time so but the world is actually a better place than what it was yesterday what it was uh 2 years ago what it was a decade ago what it was 100 years ago so i i am like convinced on that mental model so when i read such article i said tk for you know you can put that you know just to get eyeballs maybe you know that's what you want to project but i think as an ecosystem you know naturally you know, it it will converge towards good is my fundamental belief in the vc ecosystem right see people are, see you take any 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 example akash you know in the indian ecosystem forget you know the us also right take anything that's happened in the indian ecosystem right it is it is improving lives it is improved lives uh, we we've, we've not had a great manufacturing uh, what you call uh, cycle in india we didn't even go through a manufacturing cycle like the rest of the countries but we ended up with a startup boom and gig economy the swiggies of the world amazons of the world are you know are recruiting like lakhs of people right so imagine if we didn't have a manufacturing boom we didn't have a startup uh, ecosystem boom what would have been the joblessness of this country right and i think and i think you know there is no enough data that you know as an ecosystem we put out saying you know look you know there is impact that we are creating you could see that and it is very very visible it's just that we are not yet very good at putting out that you know in terms of a report or telling the world look you know this is what you created in some sense but my 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 belief is if you do anything even for money right it will get optimized frankly right uh, it, it, unless you're saying you know capitalism or the vc thing itself is like completely you know there which which is not the case frankly i mean my my belief is that look if you invest in companies which are changing people's lives when we finish changing people's lives it's obviously doing for the good thing otherwise people will not adopt right uh, in in some sense that's like thing so 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 i think you know the indian vc ecosystem is very young in that sense compared to you know let's say the us ecosystem at least whatever has happened so far i think is is been in the spirit of you know uh, uh yes there is financial motives involved but everything that's happened you know is been for the good of the indian uh, economy or the indian ecosystem frankly right i think that's how i would see it as maybe you know if we have more we see more you know we can see some uh you know rogues potentially that could be that that's potentially going to happen you know like why this complaint uh, that's happened in new yorker article you know rant if you ask me it'll happen but but like i think look like i'm i'm like very fairly good the ecosystem uh, is like just about getting started it's nurturing the right culture uh you know the mna culture is picking up uh, in the indian ecosystem also now all is pointing towards good things frankly i, I would say you know we shouldn't be worried about you know one of one of these articles you know trying to be extremely critical about you know what's happening i mean we have thick skins i also feel right because there is always so much of criticism 
of you know anything like this in some sense. So I, I, I'm saying you know it's for the good, and I think there's I think most of the ecosystem has really been increasing and creating impact on the ecosystem. I think we should just put it out a little more out in the open, frankly. No, I agree with that. That's a good point that you raise. You know, it's there's a lot of noise, and there are obviously people who are all, who are, there. Are people who always take shots at the VC ecosystem because it is one of those uh, industries that in recent times has taken a lot of flack for the way that you know startups kind of have gone on to uh, function and i was having this conversation very recently with uh, rahul chandra from arkham ventures as well and we were talking about how startups like baiju uh, have taken a lot of flack in in recent times and that kind of goes back to the point of governance and uh, you know it comes the onus also comes down sometimes to the vcs right because today if we take a look at it the Desi VC or the Indian VC faces a tough road because the entrepreneurs are really surrounding themselves with people around them that kind of don't help them build sustainable businesses. Or it's kind of like there's an utterly broken moral code if you take a look at it. So how do we as VCs kind of fix this? You know, we were discussing this and I would love to take your opinion as well. When you're talking to your founders, and when you talk about hand-holding them and you talk about recruitment and you talk about uh, helping them raise future funds. But going forward, as Java Capital matures as well and you know, three or four years down the line, once your portfolio, mature, portfolio matures as, as, as well, there will be a point where you will also have to start talking about culture. You will also have to talk about uh, managing growth. And these are even conversations that can be had even right now because sometimes culture also comes down to the kind of people that you end up hiring. It goes back to the point that you made about how you how you guys play an active role in hiring the right people. What are your thoughts on that? And given you know what we have seen, what happened with White Hat Junior and Baiju in recent times, how do you think VCs can really play an active role? And what should they be doing from day one once they've made the commitment to invest in a company in helping the company grow in the right direction, not just from um, you know revenue and and top line perspective, but also from a culture from from a compliance perspective. I think uh, Akash, it goes back to the first thing you know that uh, uh, how do you uh, you know talk to a founder and analyze and evaluate a company that I said you know founder and markets right. I think. One of the key criteria, if you ask me right, is integrity of the founder. If you can, you know, I mean, that is one of the things that I also look for in all the founders, right? I think that's not to be compromised at any point in time, right? But don't you think this changes, Vinod? I mean, when you speak to a founder today, um, you know, early days, very humble, um, you know, there's hunger and, and, and as startups grow and as, you know, sometimes you might see this rocket pace, where these startups will, you know, they say, oh, quote unquote, overnight success, which is basically things that do take place over four, five, seven years. And uh, Baiju is a great example of a company that's grown rapidly uh, yeah. today, right? So when you go through that growth, obviously as founders, obviously as people, you kind of also change and evolve as a person. But mm. how can you identify that and, and say that, you know, if, you know, when, when, when we invest a founder, we look for integrity, we look for people who are humble, but that changes over time. How do you make sure that founders are grounded and they, they kind of not get caught up in all the fuss and, and, and everything that kind of comes from a negative standpoint that kind of uh, puts the startup or the business in, kind, in some sort of a turmoil? Because 
say this kind of pattern continues, the eventuality would be that the CEO gets replaced. I'm not talking from a Baidu perspective. I'm talking about historically, when you take a look at what's happened at Uber, what's uh, happened at, at, at WeWork, what's happened at some of the other companies as well. The CEOs usually tend to um, yeah. change. The board kind of has to step in, hire somebody else. And then you're spending millions of dollars in just fixing your uh, public image, right? So it's a lot of money that's kind of being wasted, which can be fixed from day one. If the initial set of investors, you know, like you, when you guys play a, an active role at the early stages to, to really mold that image. So how do we do that? How do we as VCs ensure that this is something that kind of sustains as company or companies also grow? So, so Akash, I think, you know, one, one, one thing to do is obviously, as I said, you know, when you're starting off, get to that point of, you know, measuring, you know, people's integrity, that's one. Two is, you know, also discipline of, you know, compliance, right? This is pretty critical, right? You have to make sure that, you know, you insist on the startups to, you know, get all the compliances done, you know, because of the lay of the land or, you know, from the law of the land, right? Just make sure that, you know, obviously in India, you know, it is a, it's a complicated process. But you, you, you as a VC, you know, make sure that, you know, everything is in place. You know, you insist on, you know, a disciplined way of, you know, reporting. See, all this also tells the founder that, look, you know, I am keeping an eye on it. I am also watching it. I am looking, you know, if there is any hanky-panky. See, a lot of times, right, uh, this uh, founder-friendly, yes, you know, we have to be founder-friendly, all that, you know, that jargon that's gone around, right? But doesn't mean that you can't do your job, right? Because as a investor, I'm responsible for not just the founder's success and the company's success. I'm also responsible to my investors. In the marketing uh, uh, of a, a firm, uh, you know, or a VC firm, right? I think, you know, we've gone a little overboard on saying, you know, the, it is a, a founder, the first founder-friendly approach. You know, that's a good thing. I'm not saying we should not be friendly with the founders, but what, what at what point will you stop being friendly, you know, things are not going right, right, is a critical question to ask, right? And we are also responsible for LPs. I think most most people project this uh, sense of, you know, uh, message that, you know, I want to be founder-friendly. Yes, you know, you want to be founder-friendly, but also, you know, you have to make sure that, you know, things are running along well. I think that's the fine balance that, you know, yes, VCs will have to strike now, given that, you know, the power equation uh, in terms between the founders and VCs is a lot more, you know, with the founders now compared to, you know, decades ago in the Valley, at least. In India, right, um, uh, I think, you know, it's still like slightly, you know, balanced. Uh, if you ask me, it's not, you know, founders have a upper hand, or, you know, compared to the investors on a board. I think maybe in the US, it's kind of slightly got tilted, you know, with different kind of controls. And, and I think that's where, you know, this question is also happening. Um, and, 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 and it's not unheard of, you know, even in the US uh, histories, ecosystem, right? People being replaced in the company continuing to run. And uh, that looks like uh, an aberration today, uh, which was actually pretty much common in the early days of the uh, VC uh, days, right? It's the equation has got tilted a bit now. And that is why, you know, you are starting to see this conundrum now in sense, you know, okay, how do you ensure compliance? If, if, if as responsible stakeholders in the business, if we don't ask the right questions at the right time to the founder, right? And it is bound to end up, you know, in stories like, you know, you mentioned, right? I think we have to consciously keep an eye, you know, discipline to keep asking, you know, uh, the founders. Because once you're an investor or on the board, right, you are not responsible just for you as an investor. You are responsible for all the stakeholders if you become a board member. When I say stakeholder, you are responsible for the employees of the company, you are responsible for the founders, you are responsible for other investors. 
responsible for the larger ecosystem in some sense right if you're becoming a board member or you know if you're making this investment i think that has to sink in saying you know okay look if i have invested in a company i'm responsible for all the stakeholders it's not just that i'm responsible for my own money as an investor i if that kicks in right then we act in in a way which is good for the company and it's not necessarily good for an investor it's not necessarily good for the founder alone it's not necessarily good for the employees you act in a sense you know which is good for everybody else i think i think that has to sink in a lot more which probably is not yet fully sunk in uh, i think if the once that kicks in right uh, you know then things will uh, you know play out uh, more in 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 a better fashion right i think uh, I, i think see also right in 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 the indian ecosystem right we have still uh, in the early days of you know learning some of this frankly if you ask me we are just a decade and a half old right i've been seeing this so i think we'll have learning curves some of these incidents some of these things are also learnings for us you know we'll have to you know graciously learn from uh, some of these incidents and so that you know it doesn't get uh, repeated how much of uh, oversight can an investor have uh, how much is the balance of equation between the founders and investors i think that gets continuously changed we'll have to just see how does that uh, play out but today at least you know it's slowly kind of you know tilted uh, to the founders favor because you know there's enough liquidity available in the market but quality founders are in uh, limited uh, uh, scale or supply so that demand balance is kind of you know tilted in some sense if you ask me how can that change you know you need more crazy founders you know more uh, for, you know people wanting to start in the ecosystem and then you know then you may have you know a little bit of a, a balance that can happen here yeah. no these are some fantastic points that you make especially when you compare it to what's been happening in the west and this is not a new culture this is kind of that's been happening for a while and replacing the ceo the leader of an organization is something that's kind of traditionally happened and i think um, i think we are reaching that point even in india where uh, i think compliance and governance will probably become a little more important given that some of these companies have not yet gone public you know that's going yeah. to be extremely important because once they go public um or even before they go public i mean the investors are going to be extremely cautious about valuations how the public perceives them and once these companies go public then of course a lot of these things will really affect the stock stock price as well so it's yeah. going to be very interesting how the indian vc ecosystem can uh, responds and reacts to this in the next couple of years going forward now i think that's a good uh, point that we kind of ended the first half of uh, the podcast on i want to head, head into my second which is a rapid fire and put you on the spot and kind of ask you some questions where we can get to understand a little more about you as as a person and what your investor persona is hmm. so uh, let's start off with this first question how do you see the indian vc ecosystem changing in the next 5 years like what is the one thing that you would like to see that what the one thing that you'd like to see in terms of change within the vc ecosystem over the next 5 years no i think um, i i i would want to see you know a lot more uh, diverse people funded uh, that's my uh, big uh, uh, you know wish if you ask me right I, i would want to play a significant role try and you know see you know uh, that i i i mean i mean any 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 barriers you know which is not visible today if that that somewhat you know exists you know glass ceilings you know break that as much as possible fund you know people from diverse backgrounds frankly i think you know i wish you know that could happen more 
uh, in the next uh, four or five years. Yeah. How, how do you define diverse backgrounds? Do you mean people from smaller towns, smaller cities, not just from engineering backgrounds and fancy educational institutions uh, on their resume? What do you mean really by diversity here? So, so diversity includes both, you know, in terms of gender, both mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, which institutions in, they have come from and also, you know, uh, which towns they emerged from, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the potpourri of India uh, is missing in the fully, you know, I'm not saying everything is missing, but it is missing mm-hmm. in terms of you know, what kind of people are getting funded, right? I mean, as a VC, right, we are very comfortable if somebody says, I want to talk to you in Hindi uh, because I can't speak English. Uh, we are comfortable saying, you know, somebody wants to talk to us in Tamil or in Canada. Languages that we understand, we are very comfortable saying, you know, please talk in it. You know, we mm-hmm. just want to make sure that you are conveying us what you want to convey and not get str- strangled uh, by the language barrier itself in some sense. We are very open to that. You know, we've had conversations in other languages. Um, in sense, you know, we we, we 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 want to make sure that, look, uh, we bring in as diverse as we people as possible but at the same time you know we're not saying you know we're going to compromise on the quality of the founders that we want to invest in but we're just saying we are open to everybody it's an equal access equal opportunity in some sense you know you're not uh, because you referred from abcd uh you know it, i i don't want you know why why should only reference work you know why should only warm connects work right you know that is where diversity is missing akash if you ask me the earlier conversation that we had you should be willing to take cold emails if you have large enough firms, right? You, you can deploy a bunch of uh, people to go through all the emails and respond to them, right? I'm saying, you know, three of us, we are like consciously responding to each of the emails. I'm sure, you know, the rest of the firms can actually do that also, right? Same thing. You know, actually they can do better than us, frankly. But why, why does it not really happen with all the firms, you know, in, in a sense, you know, say how many people today are answering cold emails? You ask, you know, get some stats, you know, when you do your podcasts, uh, you know, that will give you the answer, right? Why is that diversity not? Because people don't have access, right? You and me, somehow have access to VCs today, right? Imagine the guy just coming out of, you know, in some college in a tier two city and imagine he's read about, you know, everything that needs to be read about, but he still can't talk to, you know, anybody in the VC world, right? In, in, imagine the strangeness of this, right? It's like, he can't write, let's say, you know, even a cold mail, you should figure out, you know, fine. But but how do you help him to figure out to even to write to me, you know, how do you, does he know that, oh, if I write to somebody, I'll get even a response, right? I think first thing, you know, sort out that access problem and that's where, you know, diversity will come. Uh, so, so that's why I keep telling out in any public uh, opportunity that I get, you know, look, please write to us, our emails are open, our LinkedIn's are open, our DMs are open. Feel free to write. You know, that's when I feel, you know, I can bring some sense of, you know, diversity. Like I funded a, a company from a cold email. You know, I'm just telling you that proudly because, you know, that's something that I want to continue to do that. That will bring in diversity is my belief, you know. That's in one sense, you know, bring in diversity. Uh, that, that's largely, you know, if you ask me, you know, bring in all potential forms of, you know, diversity into the ecosystem. Because new ideas will come from, you know, new places, you know, it will not come from the same places. I've had opportunities to travel on train to my uh, to Kalari, and and I have actually sourced companies from there. Frankly speaking, mm-hmm. and strangely, a forty million dollar company which got acquired by Google, I found it on a train. Right, nice. I'm sure uh, uh, you wouldn't find that. Right, so 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 sourcing uh, people call it internally sourcing. Right, if it has to be really unconventional, you we talk about you know what's my proprietary sourcing. Well, proprietary sourcing is not that you just go back to your own colleges and alumni and source. Right, that's not proprietary in some sense. And I say sourcing idea as proprietary. You know, yes, the network might be proprietary to you. 
but go to people you know somewhere else right like in a train you know somewhere else you know there are college folks you know traveling there you know they're playing a certain game there or you know something i think i i just want to make sure you know our sourcing is very unconventional you know we go to places where nobody else really wants to go and you know open up the uh, opportunity you know, for people you know who really have not heard about you know how to get money in vc uh, frankly uh, that that's how i want to do and again you know it reflects back to gopinath's uh, uh, simply fly right there's an incident in the book um, uh, and also recently it was made into a movie uh it, it, it just captures the dynamic so well right uh, if you look at the background uh, gopinath comes from india all that background right but at least in the movie picturization like this attire to city how does he know even a vc right you know how does he make a connect to the vc so it it, it is such small things right how, just see, people should not be what do you call um, uh, you know a disadvantaged you know just because they can't reach out to a certain set of people frankly you know that that's how i would see it as you know big move to get diversity into the ecosystem frankly yeah now that's that's a great answer to the question that uh, i put forth lot lot of things really came out from that answer and one thing was you know you're discovering a startup on the train which is extremely extremely interesting and uh, you know what are the chances that you know the company goes on to raise money get acquired and all of that so it's it's fantastic keep your eyes and ears open never know where you're going to bump into startups and you never know what kind of founders can end up becoming superstars tomorrow so that's a great point and uh, my next question to you is what risks are you willing to take and what are you not willing to take today so today uh, from a investing point of view i am not willing to take a very capex heavy uh, business uh, right uh, and you know not even a very opex heavy business you know those two you know i would just slightly you know uh, stay away from uh, as much as possible i am more willing to go after companies where you know tech and the product is uh, more uh, scalable uh, in some sense you know that's the conscious attempt you know at least uh, to go after uh, if 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 things uh, but once in a while right look uh, all frameworks right i exist not to fit into it and you know stick to a, the only framework right but you do make exceptions from the framework so i am always open to making those exceptions uh, we we, we want to go after you know uh, you know founders with integrity and you know frugality in mind at least you know at the stage that we are investing right we can't you know have founders you know who just you know start spending money you know whatever that little money that we can pump in right so those are two important things you know especially if we are leading a, a round in a company right we're very conscious that you know the founder is very frugal you know he can hustle through and you know it's not a capex heavy business or an opex heavy business if this is there we can lead in other cases maybe you know we may not lead you know we would participate you know in such cases where somebody else is also participating so those are trade offs that we make internally in, uh, for us uh, you know so that you know we we kind of you know align for the risk return that we can potentially deliver uh, uh, as a part of uh, java capital so that's not that's the thing you know akash you know is the investing is the answer you expected or something else i don't know i'm just giving you some investing risk return answer that uh, we have internally yeah. that's exactly what i was looking for so um, you hit the nail right on right on its head you know you've been talking a whole lot about what founders should be looking at and what should they not be looking looking at in terms of raising money and how you've been hand holding some of these people and teaching them what are the core economics of venture capital in your opinion that entrepreneurs don't get but need to understand going forward not just at the early stages but also going forward when they're continuing to raise money 
I think uh, one thing the entrepreneur should uh, understand clearly is that, uh, see, for entrepreneurs, right, it's that they are one company, uh, which VCs, right, invest in a portfolio of companies, right? And VCs are clearly, you know, thinking power law, saying, you know, look, you know, I know X number of companies only will succeed. Um, but obviously for the entrepreneur, it's their only company, right? So when they talk to VCs, you know, they should also be conscious that, look, you know, how is the VC thinking, you know, how is he evaluating my company? Every company that the VC is evaluating, he's thinking, you know, that is the winner for the VC. So if he, if a VC is making 10 investments, it's not that he's making, at the time of making the investment decision, the VC is not making saying, oh, this company is, uh, you know, 1x, this is 3x, this is 4x, no. Every decision that the VC is making saying, you know, this is my 50x, this is my 100x, right? Because that is the only way the VC is actually going to be able to return at least 3x, right? In a way, across the portfolio. I think entrepreneurs should think and understand, uh, especially this piece of economics of the VC, to, uh, frankly, that is one piece of uh, to understand really, right? Here's a lot of things, assume, you know, why can't I just build a 2x company and go to a VC and ask for money, right? You know, so also they should understand that VC economics works because it has to happen within a time frame, which is only like eight to 10 years. And it also has to work through power law. You know, you will only get one winner out of, you know, 10, 15 companies. Can you be that, you know, while you're pitching? Is your story like that? You know, are you genuinely building that winner? Uh, if you are not building that winner and you are just putting a deck saying, you know, I will do, potentially do that, uh, VC will figure out, you know, they have, they have enough, uh, you know, experience to figure that out. I think uh, founder should question himself, do I need VC money? Because if, should, if he understands the VC economics, question yourself, do you need uh, VC money? Uh, if you don't require VC money, it's absolutely perfect. I always tell founders, right, you can build your business with VC money by building a rocket ship or you can build a nice, brilliant business. Uh, take a longish uh, view, uh, do it for more number of years, you'll still build a very good business, right? It'll be as big as we see sometimes, right? So my good example, I always give it to my angel class also. Uh, uh, Akash is between Freshworks and Zoho, uh, frankly. Uh, look at the number of years Zoho has taken and the number of years uh, Freshworks has taken. So Freshworks is 100 plus million ARR currently, nine years. Uh, 20 plus years Zoho, more than 100 million, you know, ARR. So the path you choose is what is important. You know, when you go to the VC, you consciously choose a VC path, a fast growing path. And you have to obviously, you know, work for that and, you know, evaluate yourself, you know, are you ready for that kind of a growth and that kind of a fast uh, uh, direction? If you are okay with that, go for it. So I think this is one thing I keep telling for people to understand. And even while evaluating, you know, I tell our angel investors, look, you have to evaluate the founder, you know, is he, uh, ready for VC kind of funding or easy, you know, looking for, you know, sustainable, uh, nothing, both of them are fine, you know, yeah, both are right. There is no right or wrong in this. Fantastic. And last, lastly, you know, one thing that I'd like for you to share with our listeners is your experience in the last couple of years as a VC, what can you tell founders, especially about fundraising and what kind of advice would you want to give to them? You did talk about cold emailing and asking founders to be a little more outgoing and hustle their way through. But outside oh. of that, is there something else that you can talk, give, you know, talk to them directly and, and let them know, even if it's like reaching out to Java Capital or in terms of just reaching out to other VCs, what kind of advice would you want to share with them on this episode? 
So, Akash, um, uh, I think, you know, founders, you know, today, at least most people try and understand uh, how does VC work looks like, you know, at least because they're all, you know, getting to know this better. Uh, I think, you know, in, in, in some sense, right, the amount of money and valuation that people are expecting, right, that is one thing, you know, I would, you know, ask founders to look at it, you know, think about it, you know, uh, you know, don't put some numbers um, out of the uh, wonk, right? Like I've heard of crazy numbers sometimes, right? Just out of the box, not even no traction, right? You know, you just have looking at, you know, crazy numbers that you want to raise. I, you, 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 you try and evaluate yourself for how much money you require for the next 18 months and what milestone will you achieve and ask that money uh, from the VCA. And you have a number when you go to a VC. Don't say, you know, oh, I want you to decide the valuation of the money, right? I mean, that shows you're not prepared for that in some sense. Right? You're going for a fundraise. You tell me how much you want and roughly at what valuation that you want. You know, you should have that map because you are asking for money in a sense, right? A lot of founders I've seen, you know, saying, you know, look, you know, oh, we want to leave the to, to the VC, especially the valuation number they assume, right? Valuation is a, a starting point of negotiation already so that let it come first from the VC, right? <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? So founders should make an effort to think what is my reasonable range and indicate a range to the investors because I, when I'm operating, right, if somebody I'm talking to and if I don't know the number, right, I can't put in money at like $10 million, right? I can't put in money. So imagine the conversation. I do all the conversation and then the founder doesn't tell me the valuation then, but he's expecting $10 million. But when I say, let's say, okay, let's do this at $2 million, I mean, both of us are super disappointed, right? So I think you put put expectation uh, clearly, be prepared, you know, especially for that question. Uh, you you do your background work, do the right, check industry, check everything and go with a good number. Ask, you know, boldly, look, this is the money, this is for 18 months, this is my milestone and this is a valuation number that I want. Don't be afraid, you know, to put a number on the company, uh, especially at the early stages. That's one suggestion that I would give to the founders to look for. The other uh, uh, suggestion uh, I would give, right, uh, is... Uh, be always honest, upfront, and uh, you know, uh, with the investors, uh, right? Just tell as it is, even if it's, uh, uh, for example, right? I've come across a lot of cases recent past where founders have not quit their job and are waiting for the money to come in so that they can quit. I mean, that's not possible, guys. You know, I mean, we or most VCs, right, will really not up. Uh, you know, you know, it's like you don't have conviction in the first place to quit your job and pursue this idea. Why should the VC put money and help you pursue that idea then, right? So quit. If you are asking for money, please quit your job. Show that you are already committed to the startup before going and asking money from the uh, VCs. Thank you. So this is something that I again, you know, I'm highlighting a couple of these Akash, uh, but but I'm saying you know this is something the founders should think about it. Yeah. No, this is wonderful, Vinod. This has been a great episode because you've shared so much from your personal experience, from your time at Just Books, as well as Kalari, as well as at Java. And it's kind of been a wonderful journey if you take a 30,000 feet look at what you've done and what you're continuing to do. And I'm really excited about what the future holds for Java and what you've been doing with the angel investing course as well and building a community and empowering first-time investors and getting them into the market. So all of this kind of is fantastic and 2020 you know a grim year but it's kind of turned out to be very productive for you on a professional front so i'm really cheering for you i'm really excited about what the next chapter holds and i'm looking forward to working with you in one way or the other and uh yeah thank you so much for a fantastic episode Vinod. 
Hey, thanks, Akash. I think it's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, it's a, a, a fun conversation. Once in a while, you know, when you talk about your past, right, it always, uh, you know, gives you that energy again. You know, look where you came from, right? Uh, you know, it just gets picked, picked up in these conversations, right? That's when you remember, right? Look, uh, that that past, you know, I think you know a lot of people don't look back upon, right? Like Suresh's conversation or the other um, anecdotes that we picked up today, I think it's interesting. It serves as a reminder for me also, you know, look, uh, pay it forward, you know, give back to the community. Uh, remember people, you know, help you climb, you know, it's on the shoulders of others that, you know, all of us, you know, look to the stars in some sense. I think that that's an interesting thing. You know, thanks. Thanks for having me, Akash. And we look forward to working with you, uh, you know, in this year, uh, obviously, or the next year <laughs> in some form or other. Yeah. And that's the end of another fantastic episode. Didn't you all love it? I did. Thank you so much, Vinod. Always a pleasure chatting with you. I've enjoyed learning about your journey, the common connections you and I have shared, and most importantly, what motivates you to invest in startups. If you're like me and enjoyed that, please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. It would also be great if you share it across the social media channels and give us a shout out. It will help others discover the podcast as well. Now stay tuned because we have a bunch of great guests lined up in the coming weeks. Until then, stay safe everybody. The virus is still out there. Put your mask on when you get out. And don't forget to keep hustling.